Well, today we continue a series that we began last week called One Anothering. One Anothering. We're looking at some of the different one another passages that we have all throughout Scripture, talking about what it means to relate and to connect together in community. Last week as we began the series, we are reminded that our Surgeon General in the United States has said that we are in an epidemic, an epidemic of loneliness and isolation. How well do you feel connected How well do you feel like you are supported in community? How well do you feel like you are surrounded by friends? And here in the church and in the body of Christ, how well do you feel like you are connected and a part of the body of Christ, the people of God? That's what we've been looking at and what we are going to look at through this series talking about these one another's. Last week we began by talking about love moves us closer. That when we are in love and when we talk about loving one another, that's really the foundation, isn't it? When you think about all of the one another's that are, that are the one that captures it all is this idea of love one another. When you come to church, you kind of expect to hear about loving one another. That's, that's, that's at the heart of who Jesus is. It's at the heart of God's love for us. And it's that love that moves us closer. And it's our desire that throughout this series that, that we would really take an intentional step in community towards one another. That we would say, love is going to draw me closer, so am I going to be closer to others in the body of Christ, in the community of the church, whether here in person, online, connecting, saying, I want to take a step closer, because God calls us to love. He says that he is our example. Jesus said, I've loved you, I've commanded you to love one another and to be in that relationship. And so now we want to walk out over these next several weeks, if love is the context to be in community, how do we experience that? How do we move from the outside in? How do we move from rows like this into circles? How do we experience closer community? And so today, I want to start with the first of these next four weeks that that helps us understand loving one another, and it's this. It's welcome one another. Today, we're going to talk about welcoming one another. And so the scripture we're going to look at here is Romans 15, verse 7. In the RSV, it says, Welcome one another, therefore, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God pretty straightforward. Welcome one another. But just like last week when Jesus gave the command to love one another, he said, as I have set an example for you. Here he says, now welcome one another as I have done for you. How has Christ welcomed us? Some translations say accepted us. How has he brought us into community with himself? And that's what we're going to look at. What does welcoming look like? Let me ask you, when were you ever welcomed the best? When were you ever hosted the best, welcomed the best? Besides this morning when you came to church. I mean, any, any other time in, in your life. When I thought about that, I thought going on a cruise. Anyone ever been on a cruise before? How many of you have been on a cruise before, been fortunate enough to do that? Yeah, there's something about, okay, you got to pay to have that kind of service, right? You, gotta, you go to the cruise, but when you come on board, it's like they treat you like kings and queens, right? How are you? Welcome, Dr. and Mrs. Krenz. How are you today? Uh, anything else we can do for you? Yes, your room's been prepared. You come in, here's your towel in the shape of a monkey. You know, I mean, whatever. Like, I mean, that's, that's service, right? You come through, you come to dinner. Is there anything else that we could get? Yes, oh, you'd like the lobster and the steak. Yes, of course, let me get another one for you. I mean, it's just like we love being treated well. We love being welcomed well, being accepted in that way. And being hosted, saying, ah, that feels so good, that feels so nice to feel comfortable, to feel fed, to feel taken care of. And in other words, we're going to talk a lot today also about hospitality. What is hospitality? Here's my definition of hospitality. Providing warm and generous welcome and care for the stranger, the traveler, and the guest. So warm and generous care, right, for the stranger, for the traveler, for the guest, for those around us. We provide this environment and see, the root word of the word hospitality is the word hospice. Now, we have other words that come from this word hospice. What, like what? 
hospital, <laughs> hospice, the word host, they all have this root in the Latin. And here's what that word actually means. Interestingly enough, when we look at the word hospice, it's Latin for guest and host. Isn't that odd? That the word hospice would be the same word for guest and host. And we think that's kind of strange. But as you think about it and as you understand and we begin to learn what hospitality really is, it is about the guest and the host in reciprocity, connecting with one another, building and forming a bond. And that when you have done this well, when you've connected well, there is no longer a great difference between guest and host. You are connecting. Love moves us closer. Love moves us into relationship. And so when we think about hospitality, we think about welcoming. We begin with a stranger, right? Somebody that you don't know, but all of a sudden when you are welcoming, now the stranger becomes a guest. And what happens? There's a closer movement. There's an identifying with somebody else. The guest, if you've had guests for a while or you continue to see a guest, or maybe you've even stayed at a hotel frequently or, or visited somebody regularly, at first you were guests, but pretty soon they start saying things like, well, now we've become friends. I mean, we're, we're, no, we're no longer strangers. We're not just guests anymore. They're our friends. I mean, you're still guests at our home, but, but we're connecting as friends. And if that continues for a while and you host well and you continue to build that relationship, you may even start calling each other family. We're like family. I mean, it's no longer like strangers. And that's what happens when we begin to welcome and accept one another. And we understand hosting and hospitality. It brings us closer and closer together. It brings that connection. And in the end, this is what happens. It, it begins with welcome, understanding what it means to welcome one another. But I think there's a problem that we are facing today. And that is that we are losing the art of hospitality, the act of hospitality and welcoming in our society. And I think that can impact the way that we engage with one another in the church. And it changes the dynamic among us. And, and one of the things that we're seeing is, uh, is how many of you guys still um, have a dining room in your house? How many of you guys have a dining room? How many of you still use it as a dining room? <laughs> how New floor plans in, in kind of median houses around the country, except for, for higher-end luxury homes, only 20% of homes have uh, a floor plan that includes a dining room anymore. So what's the big deal? You know, a lot of us say, nah, the formal dining is gone, dining's not a part of it, and of course you can still host in other parts of your home, there's different things you can do, but the dining room at one point at least represented the place where you would dine with guests, is where you would bring others, right? Your kitchen table was kind of your family, and, and, and then if you had the dining room, it was set apart from the kitchen so that you could not see the dishes and all those other things, and, and you could create the space. Now, I'm not here to advocate for or against dining rooms, but simply to say that things have changed. I remember, you know, growing up and, and having that dining room to be used for special occasions when guests come and, and you get out the nicer dishes, right, and you serve and you create the special environment in this space. And so we're losing the sense of that, that um, you, know, you know, that space. And it also hasn't ha helped that in, in the course of, um, you know, with COVID, it was so weird not to welcome people into the home anymore. Like we would, you know, periodically, regularly have folks in, in our home and then like COVID was like, Nobody can go into the home, right? It's like caution tape. Don't, you can show up at the window. Remember, we'd go over. It doesn't even, sometimes it feels long ago, but it wasn't all that long ago, right? Like you could show up at the door and drop something off and be like, hey, I just wanted to connect with you. I'm not coming in. Don't worry, right? And it was like our homes were like these safe zones. And then there came that time where you could use, maybe, you know, gather outside on the patio and you get together. But then it was like 
what if your guests have to go to the bathroom? Do they like go into your house? Like, do you have to disinfect after they go through your house? And it really changed this dynamic of our home and of hosting and being together. And I think some of us have still not quite re-engaged to the level that we were maybe before COVID. It's changed the way that we engage with one another. And so maybe we don't like to host as much. And again, you can do it in different places in your home in different ways. But many of us sometimes have excuses. The reason why we don't want to host, the reason we don't want to welcome people, ah, you know, maybe my, uh, my house isn't enough, maybe it's not big enough, maybe it's not clean enough, modern enough, nice enough, I don't know. Maybe you don't like to cook, maybe you don't know how to cook, right? I mean, there might be reasons you say, I don't know, I'd rather just go and, do, and, and be somewhere else. Maybe you get anxiety about that. We have different reasons. But we also, what I find interesting is, I think some folks are being more hesitant to even accept invitations to get together. Maybe, you know, it's harder to do when somebody invites you one-on-one, -on -one, but maybe if there's some group gatherings and it's like, I don't know, it's just, I don't want to meet new people. I get anxiety over that. It just takes effort, right? Like, what are we going to talk about? Is anybody else, am I speaking to anybody? Do you ever feel that? And so it's just easier to what? It's easier to stay home and complain that I don't know anybody. <laughs> right? I don't have any friends, but I get invited, but I don't go because I don't know anybody. Right? Students, we see it in student ministry, like, you know, there's a camp or there's a trip coming up and, and a sixth grader or somebody that hasn't come before is like, oh, I don't want to go on this youth trip because I don't know anybody. That's why you need to go on that trip. <laughs> That's why you need to go. You need to connect. You need to make friends. That's how it happens. And sometimes the hurdle is too big and we make excuses. We're too busy. We don't really want to meet others. We've got anxiety. So what begins to happen is that we don't appreciate the power of welcoming people into our homes, having guests being in community, even going out to dinners together, and we begin more, we become more and more isolated. Now, American culture is very different than a lot of cultures around the world. If you've traveled, you've gone on missions trips, or if you've gone on vacation in different places, I've got, uh, some of my family is Middle Eastern, two of my sisters met, uh, married uh, Middle Eastern men, uh, Lebanese, and let me tell you, <laughs> when you get welcomed and hosted into a Middle Eastern or a Lebanese family, I mean, it is like, bring out the best. Right? You are an honored guest. When you come, it is a big deal. They take hosting and hospitality incredibly serious. And I think this is one of the cool things I would say it this way is, like, or, or, or I think sometimes we think of it in terms of ha hosting or entertaining, that it can be a burden. That you might feel like, oh, i got to put a party on. I've got people coming over. And of course, there's work. And it's hard, and, and you do those things, but you feel the more the burden of it, and so we may not do it. In the Middle East, it's considered an honor. I get to host you, and, and I've traveled even to places where we, you come as an unexpected guest, and it's like, clear everything out, bring in the best food, like, let's, let's honor you as a guest, and we've lost the sense of that. And one thing I would want us to understand today is this, too, the guest is a gift from God. And this is why we're not just talking about just the general hospitality and welcoming. You can get that seminar, you can look at YouTube videos and find out how to do that, and you can read a Martha Stewart Living magazine or whatever, I don't know, get those tips. We want to look at what's the spiritual understanding and why is welcoming and hosting and hospitality, why is that so important? And so this is a big part of it is that the guest is actually a gift from God. It changes our perspective. The guest isn't an inconvenience. The guest isn't somebody who's now putting me out and, and I have to go out of my way and, and I got all this work. The guest is actually the gift. And so how do we embrace this gift from God? So today, I want to help us recapture this, the beauty of welcoming, the beauty of being the church and inviting people into our homes and into this place and what that looks like. Because when we get this right, 
when this process of welcoming begins correctly and, and we do it right, we do it well, transformation absolutely happens in people's lives. Spiritual transformation happens in those that are guests and in the host themselves. And so this morning, I want us to practice rolling out the welcome mat. So I've created a really, got a really large welcome mat here for you, right? I want you all to know you're welcome, you're here, and how do we roll out the welcome mat for those people in our lives? So let's jump into it today. I want to share uh, three stories with you today. We're going to talk about a little man, we're going to talk about a young community, and we're going to talk about um, a great big party that was thrown that nobody showed up to. And we're going to learn from these three stories out of the Bible some key principles about what it looks like to welcome one another and to create that community. So the first story of a little man, if you've been around the church for a while, you only know one little man in the Bible, and his name is... Zacchaeus, right? So Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector, as we read, and he lived in, that, in the culture there, and, and he's in the city, and, and being a tax collector and being a Jew meant you were not liked by your fellow Jews, because you were working with the Roman government, collecting taxes on your own people, and on top of that, you were given some latitude to, to fudge the numbers a little bit, to make a little extra for yourself, so you could cheat some folks, and he was living large, and he was disconnected, he was despised, he was not liked. And this was the nature of Zacchaeus, but he had a good job and lived well, and apparently he was a little bit uh, growth challenged. And so he's in the city, and he hears the news that Jesus is coming through town. And Jesus is a pretty big deal at this time. Crowds are following. Jesus has, has healed. He's ta uh, taught amazing stories and, and just opening people's hearts and eyes to things they'd never heard before. And Jesus was coming to town, and if you know the story, if you grew up right, he was trying to see him, and so what did he do? What did he do? He climbed a tree, right? I mean, he's a smart guy. He can't see, he can't see over the crowds. Maybe he doesn't even want to be that close to some of the other people that don't like him, so he's hiding out in a tree on the side of the road as Jesus is coming by. Now, I can relate to the story a little bit because I was, I was small when I was in, in, in middle school, and uh, growing up in, in Sterling Heights, Michigan, we had this cool opportunity that President Ronald Reagan was coming to town. I mean, this was exciting as a middle schooler. And he was coming to the high school that my sisters were at that I was going to go to. And like Marine One, you know, the, the, the helicopters were flying into the stadium, or all this kind of cool stuff. But what we heard was um, he was coming to town, and he was going through uh, the main road to the high school. I lived right on that road, was Dodge Park Road. And so we wanted to see the motorcade coming through, right, with the, the, the presidential lim limousine. It's called the Beast. I don't know if it was called that back then. That's what they call it now because of all the bulletproof glass and metal and all that stuff. But this entourage, right, of all these vehicles. And I just wanted to catch a glimpse of President Ronald Reagan right in front of my house, right outside the door, right there. And thankfully, I didn't have to climb a tree because I could just see from the side of the road. And so here comes the motorcade, right, the lights and, and the, 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 you know, are coming, and here comes President Ronald Reagan, and he comes, and he's driving across, and then wouldn't you know it, he stops right there, right in front. He got out of the car, and he walked over to me, and he goes, you're Mark Krenz, right? <laughs> I was like, you've got to be kidding me. He's like, do you mind if I come over to your house just for a little bit? You don't believe that. The story is true up until the point where the, the motorcade stops. I really, he really did come to town. He really did come through. He did not stop. But to understand a little bit of the gravity of what's happening in the situation is your reaction to that story. You go, that, that's impossible. That wouldn't happen. Somebody like President Reagan wouldn't stop to talk to somebody like Mark Krenz. That's not going to happen. 
And it didn't happen in my life, but look what happened in the story of Zacchaeus. While he's up in the tree, Jesus is coming through the entourage of all the disciples, right? You know, bringing him through. Here's what it says in, in, in Luke we read, Luke 19. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Wow. We've heard the story so many times. It's like, yeah, Jesus hung out with Zacchaeus. But there's something amazing and powerful that's going to go on in this moment. It's something that happens. But I want to pull a couple of points out here that I think we can take home with us as we understand what it looks like to welcome one another. And the first is this, and we see it from this story. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. Welcome one, welcoming one another requires noticing and taking initiative. I mean, Jesus could have just passed by. Just another face in the crowd, just another rich little man up in a tree. I mean, we see it all the time, right? He could have ignored it. <laughs> he could have kept going. But there's something there in that moment where, where Jesus noticed. And what did he notice? He noticed somebody who was apart from the crowd, somebody who was on the outside looking in, somebody who was obviously not very welcomed among his own people. And Jesus could have kept going. He could have given him a wave. But what he did is he stopped. He made eye contact. He looked and not only did he look, he, he engaged with him, and he called him by name. That's significant. He didn't say, hey, man up there. He said, Zacchaeus. Now, we don't have the privilege of knowing people's names, and maybe he just knew, or maybe some of the disciples, he heard them talking about, oh, there's that dude, Zacchaeus, up in the tree. And he's like, so Jesus, you know, heard his name, or maybe he's God, and he just knows everybody's name already. Or maybe he was leaning into that. I mean, he is God, but maybe he, you know, chose to lean into that knowledge. I don't know. But you know what we can do? We can ask somebody their name, right? We can just ask. Or, conveniently, we can wear name tags on a Sunday like this. Because there's something important about a name. It separates us from just being a stranger, just being one in the crowd. There's, there's an identity. When somebody says, Mark, you, I, I can hear it across a crowded room, right? When you hear your name, your ear kind of perks up. Because there's some connection there. And Jesus understands and sees Zacchaeus as an individual, as a person to be loved, as a person to be valued, a person to be noticed. And so one of the first steps for us when we want to create a welcoming culture, when we want to be a welcoming person, we need to see. We need to open our eyes. But most of the time, what are most of us doing? Falling into things, running into things, right? We're, we choose not to look. We choose not to see. Sometimes we actually notice, but we choose not to lean into it. Ah, I don't want to deal with that person. Oh, they look like they're kind of not connecting with anyone. Oh, well, I hope somebody talks to them. Right? We, we, we don't begin to create that bond. Love moves us closer. And so the first part of welcoming is opening our eyes and to know names and to see a person and to really notice. And the second is this. Open your home. Welcoming one another into our homes deepens friendships and strengthens our faith. Now, I debated whether I wanted to get this specific about opening our homes. I mean, just open something else, just open, get together. But there is something all throughout Scripture, there is something powerful about our homes that I don't want us to miss. I don't just want us to write off that we can do it in other ways. Granted, not everybody has a home. Not everyone can do this. Jesus didn't have a home. And yet, what did he do? He invited himself into somebody else's home. So there's a good solution, <laughs> right? You, you either have one or you invite yourself into one. So there's no excuse anymore. Jesus invited himself into his home. And what did Zacchaeus do? He actually responded and said, yes, I want you in my home. He didn't say, oh, no, 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 I didn't clean up before I left. <laughs> I couldn't possibly host you. He was like, come into my home. There's something powerful about getting into each other's homes. And in that moment, when Jesus gets into his home, 
life change begins to happen for Zacchaeus. It's a quick story. But what I find interesting is Jesus didn't stop on the side of the road and just ask everyone to just kind of give us a minute, and I'm going to talk to Zacchaeus. I'm going to talk to him about how he's cheating people or how he's not doing things right. I'm going to kind of correct him here in this moment or whatever he's going to talk about. He understood that in the crowd, he needed to separate. And one place he wanted to go was into Zacchaeus' home. There's something powerful about going into somebody's house. You get to see another part. Just like our name is a part of our identity, when we get into each other's homes, we get to see different things, how we live, what's important to us, what pictures are on the walls, what hobbies do we have, what kind of style and taste do we have, what artifacts are like things that, from our life that, that we've kept, collectibles or stuff, you know, memories from travels or childhood. There's insight. And in our homes, it's a place of comfort. It's a place where we can let our guard down, where we're not in the public eye, where we're not trying to play for anybody else. We're just in our comfortable, safe space. And when we share that space with others and make them comfortable, things begin to happen. And so in that moment, as Zacchaeus is there and Jesus is in his house, what we see is Zacchaeus says, you know what? If I've cheated anybody, I'm going to give him, I'm going to repay them four times as much as I cheated them. And, 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 those, you know, in my, and for the poor, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. That's a pretty radical commitment, wouldn't you say? I mean, right now, give half of what you have to the poor. How many of you say, yep, I'm in? That's a big commitment. That's a big deal. That happened to Zacchaeus. He encountered Jesus. Something changed. And if I've cheated anyone, if, <laughs> he knew, <laughs> he did, I'm going to repay him four times as much. I'm going to make good. There's something changed in him. Something was different, and, and it was a big deal. And now Jesus begins to share why welcoming and why community is so important and why it's a part of his mission. At the end of this story is a verse that if you've been in the church, you've heard before, but understand it's connected to the story of Zacchaeus. In Luke 19, verse 9, Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. Wait a second, I just thought it was some guy who was giving money and, and being good to the poor. Salvation. Something changed in his heart. Something changed in his spirit. He's not the same as he was before. And then Jesus gives us the why of welcome. Why is it so important? Why did Jesus come? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek, right? To notice, to see, to seek after, to go, to be intentional. Because there's something when we, when we get out of our own comfort zones and just what's in it for me and, and who takes care of me and we begin to see other people, we begin to take them in our homes. We begin to make a connection. Salvation comes. Life change comes. It can happen in our home. It doesn't just have to happen in church where lives are changed. It happens in our homes. And Jesus said, this is why he came. And so he looks at someone like Zacchaeus and said, here's an example of how you do it. You connect with somebody. You have a conversation with them. You invite them in their home and watch what God does in those moments. Welcoming one another is a critical step in evangelism. We don't think about that. It's a way that God uses us to reach out to others and to share the hope of Christ. And so I want to ask you guys, well, who are you seeing? Who are you overlooking? Who are you noticing? Who do you need to invite into your home and spend some more time with? Your home is a, an amazing place where life change can happen. And the early church got this. The early church understood this. I talked about, you know, the young church and what they were, they were learning. So Jesus, you know, taught and he lived and he died on the cross and was buried and he was, rose again. And they saw him and then he ascended into heaven. And then the early church begins to form and the disciples are now passionate more than ever to share about what, what life with Jesus looks like. And so Jesus is preaching and we read in Acts chapter 2 verse 41, it says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 
Let that sink in for a moment. And one day, 3,000 people added to their number. Those who said, you know what? I want to believe in Jesus Christ. I want to be baptized. I want to walk with him. I want to follow him. I want to know what, this is, what it means. What do you do now? Well, just show up at church next Sunday, and we'll teach you. Well, they did some of that. They began to gather at the temple, and they were regularly learned. But what we have next is this amazing passage of, of what it looks like for people to grow in faith and how they experience community. And I just want to read this to you, and then I want to focus on one part. In Acts 2.42, the next verse, what do they do? 3,000. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So they met together regularly, right, in the temple courts and and. and practicing this beautiful community life together. And then this, they broke bread, where? In In their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They understood that there's something important about gathering at the temple. There is this great teaching, there's things you can learn, you know, to gather together and to be in the large group and to be 3,000 strong and growing every day. That was a force in the community. Something cool was happening, but they understood that something else had to happen. They needed to break down this larger gathering into something smaller. They needed to get into each other's homes. And to break bread wasn't just like, here's a little wafer and a cup. It was like, let's share a meal. Let's break the bread the whole loaf together. Here, have some of this. Let's take the cup. And it was a way of living out communion, not just as a religious practice or rite, but as a meal that was shared in their homes. So they got out of their rows and they got into circles. And that's what we mean when we talk about this row where you're shoulder to shoulder, but it's different when you face each other. When you sit together, when you're in a home, where you're in a group, where you're together. And this was so important that the, this was the early church's practice. We read it in 1 Peter 4.9. It says, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. The Bible talks about this idea of opening our homes to others. Romans 12.13. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. I think about the home. And I think what, what reminds me of the church is where I, where I grew up, in the church that I grew up in, uh, back in Sterling Heights, where President Ronald Reagan really did come to town. Um, we, uh, we, would, we were a church, maybe about 100 or so, and I, I can still tell you right now, the families that, whose homes we gathered in, Harold and Erica Kilp. Right? We had Wally and Heidi Holtz. We had the Zipes house. Right? What I liked about the Zipes house is they had an Atari 2600. I mean, we were like gaming at the peak pinnacle of technology, and to play Pitfall at their house was awesome, and Pong, I mean, it was so cool. Um, but, but we would gather in their homes. About a year and a half ago, or during COVID, um, I was informed that one of these couples, Ralph and Trudy, that, that Ralph had COVID and that he passed away from, from COVID. Ralph was the choir director, he was a, the youth director, he just did this uh, volunteer roles in the church, and... And I remember Ralph and Trudy, and I got to share at his, his funeral and just share some of the memories of being a kid, being a teenager growing up in that church. And what I remember is being invited to Ralph and Trudy's house was a treat. And if it was after church and, and they would say, hey, we're going over to Ralph and Trudy's house, it was like, yes, 
<laughs> you know, Trudy would set the, the dining room table up and pull in some extra chairs, nothing over the top fancy, but I remember just the mashed potatoes, you know, the good food. And then for dessert, she made the most amazing brownies. And it was just like sitting at their table, enjoying time together. They had a swimming pool, so if it was the summer, we would go swimming. And it was just so awesome to be able to go over, to have the youth come over, and to, you know, just to, to enjoy those moments and the barbecue out in the back. And she, she had Doritos. I don't know, we never had a lot of Doritos in our house, but she would bring out the Doritos. And it's like, this is what I remember 30, 40 years later because we were in their home, but it wasn't just the food and the stuff. It was the relationships. And it's these same families that I can go back to Michigan, you know, 30, 40 years later, and instantly pick up where we left off. Why? Because we were in their homes. We shared life together. We grew up together. We, we brought each other in, into these relationships. And that's the kind of community that we can experience when we're in each other's homes. And I think sometimes we get so caught up with entertaining versus hosting. Stop thinking about entertaining. Entertaining is about the entertainer. Hosting is about the guest. I mean, we want to create nice environments. We want to create places where others can come and really enjoy and be comfortable. So, you know, we got some advice early on in our marriage from some friends of ours who, who had us over a lot. And they said, you know what, just if you got some guests coming over, just, you know, clean one room, <laughs> throw everything else in the laundry room and shut the door, wipe the toilet seat down, and you're good to go, right? Put, put out some food. You don't have to, like, throw this amazing party with charcuterie boards and, you know, or, you know. although those are great, you know. But opening your home, it's about the guest. It's about creating connection. It's about creating a bond. And there's something, again, about getting into our homes. The third is this, open your heart. Open your heart. If you open your eyes and you see and you begin to open your home and you, open, you create place and space, now opening your heart. Welcome those to your table who never get invited. See, we're really good at inviting others who we want to invite us back. Or those that invited us, and we might invite them back. Or those who are our friends, those who we, are, who we are already comfortable with. But welcoming one another in the sense of Scripture, in the biblical sense, in what we understand, is not only to those who are friends and family, but that we extend a welcome to those beyond, those who never get invited. And that means opening our heart. And we read a story, and we hear a story about Jesus. He's actually at dinner at a Pharisee's house. And so Jesus is the honored guest, and he's one of the guests that's there, and he starts giving them some advice about the, the guests as he's, you know, sitting around the table. He actually gives some advice to us today. He says, when you're invited as a guest to the party, don't sit in the best seat. What do a lot of us do? We get somewhere like, oh, what's the best seat? You know, to get the best seat. Don't sit at the best seat. He said, sit at the worst seat, because what if you're sitting at the best seat and somebody more important comes, and the host says, oh, no, excuse me, can you get up and let, leave this seat for somebody else? You're going to be embarrassed. He said, instead, sit at the lowest seat. And if the host happens to come to you and said, what are you sitting over here for? Come, have a better seat. You will be honored. And he's just giving this advice and talking about who's at the table and, and how do we interact. And Jesus spent a lot of time at the table. We read all throughout Scripture these verses, let's say, Jesus was reclining at the table. He was enjoying meals. He was being together with others. And so he's having this meal, and, and then he tells his host, this, gives this host this advice. He says in, in Luke 14, verse 12, then he turned to his host. He says this. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors. Wait a second, that's usually who we invite. We usually invite our friends, our brothers, our relatives, and rich neighbors. For they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. 
then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Now, he's not saying that you should never get together with others. He's saying you do those things, you're going to get a reward, and that'll be another invitation, and that's great, and that's a good part of life. But if you really want to see and experience a deeper reward, invite somebody who can't invite you back. Look for those who are on the outskirts, because what is he saying is welcoming is a way of building connection, of bringing people together, of leveling the playing field, saying, I see you, I notice you, I welcome you into my home, and now we come together as equals. And there's something beautiful that begins to happen when we have this mentality. And then Jesus begins to tell this other story because he was saying, this is what it's going to be like in the kingdom of heaven. And the guy, and the guy at the table was like, wow, that sounds amazing. And then Jesus goes to tell him about this, this king who, who threw this great party. And he threw this great party and he sent out the invitations all through the city. And then when it was time for the party, he got responses and people were making excuses. They couldn't come. You know, one bought a field. You know, I have, have some property, I have some things i got to take care of. Another one bought so a team of oxen that we, you know, they're plowing fields with and said, i got to try it out. You know, i just got some new equipment, i got some new technology, I, I'm busy, i gotta, I got to work on that. I can't make it to your party. Another one said, I just got married. I can't come. You know, we just got married, we got to set up our home, we got to set up our life. I, I don't have time, spiritually speaking, I don't have time for you, God. I don't have time for the things of the kingdom of God. I'm too busy with work and family life, and I've got these things going on. And, and they rejected the invitation that, that, that is being sent out. And again, a parable tells us about the kingdom of heaven. And so when he heard this, he got upset, the king did, and he said to his servants, go out. And go out and he tells them, here's who you're supposed to invite, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. He's saying, this is what it's like in the kingdom. And they started coming. And they started coming in droves because the, some of these folks, especially in that culture, were on the outside. They didn't receive the invitations. And so in the story, Jesus, the, the listeners were going, yeah, of course these people would come. They don't ever get invited. And to be honored and to be honored guests. And the servants say, there's still more room. And so the king said, well, then go out, go out in the highways and the byways on the outskirts of town, bring in anyone you can find. And he said, so that my house might be full. That's the invitation that Jesus sends out. That's the way that he approaches the way that we are to be the church. The way that we are supposed to be the kingdom of God is to have an open heart for those that, that are on the outskirts. For those that are looking in, not, you know, we love feeling comfortable in our community, with our group, with our clique, with those who we have related with. And we should, we should have a close community. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we begin to close off to others, that's when it becomes a problem. We're called to have space, to make room, to notice the other, to see the other, so that the house might be full. Because that's the kind of God that we serve, a God that loves to throw banquets and to throw parties. And I think about what would that look like today? And it's a picture of the church that says where anyone is welcome, where anyone can come, where we have a community where you can be accepted and loved and where we can grow together. But to help us see a picture of it, I, 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 this, came, this crossed my mind. I don't know if you've heard about a, a Night to Shine that the Tim Tebow Foundation supports through churches all around the country and around the world. It's a night for those who are, are suffering uh, or, or, you know, challenged with, you know, various disabilities uh, that are ages 14 and over, and they basically throw this formal party, like a prom, like a formal. And so they send out these invitations, and they, they, they go over and above. 
They provide free dresses, and they provide free tuxes and shoes, and they do, you know, manicures and hairdressing and makeup. And, and then when it's time for the party, they literally roll out the red carpet, and the paparazzi takes pictures, and, and they welcome all these kids and, they, and, and, and adults, and they throw this amazing gathering. And together with caregivers and others who are hosting this in the churches, it creates a beautiful evening. And I thought, let me just grab a second here. This was a part of their recap video that I thought would maybe just help us catch a glimpse of what welcoming can look like. Isn't that cool? What a picture. What an image when we get beyond those that can return the favor. To be able to open our hearts bigger than what we think. To see and to notice. To open our homes, whether it's our physical homes, whether it's this place together. We may not deal with some of the same challenges that we saw in that video. But we all have our challenges, don't we? in different ways, in different things, where we feel like maybe we're not good enough, maybe we're not invited, maybe we don't feel like we belong. That's one of our core values, is to belong, to create a place of belonging where we wouldn't reject anybody at the door, but to say there's always room, and there's always room for God to bring transformation and to bring new life, and it changes us. When we get beyond just those that love us back, those that can repay the favor, those that elevate our status, when we can get to a place where we just say, you know what, my heart is open, I want to get to know you. I see you. I want to hear your story. So awesome. Just last week, somebody called and said, hey, I just want to have lunch. <laughs> you want to get together for lunch? No, no agenda. I just want to get to know you a little bit better. 
And they traded for lunch, so I'm always open for that. That was good. Um, but it was just an opportunity to connect. And we all need that. We all need a place to belong. And I pray that that is the community that we create in this space. And so what we get to do is when we do that, when we create that space as a congregation, when you do that in your neighborhood with your friends, with the neighbors, with the community, with those that you are inviting into your home that you don't even really know, we're giving people a glimpse of eternity. It's a physical reality that changes, that impacts us, but it really speaks to something much bigger because the kingdom of God is a God who loves to throw a party, a God who loves to invite people to the table to say, come and be a part of what you're doing. Let's go on this journey of transformation like Zacchaeus that changes us to do some pretty radical things, to find salvation, to find hope, to find life. It's the God who, who welcomes the prodigal son who's lost, who is squandering his life, and he says, you know, psh, just come back home. I'm going to throw you a party. And he does that. It's the God who says, you know, I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven, a place that you will be with me. I want you there. He welcomes us and he invites us, regardless of our past, regardless of our background, regardless of the challenges we're in right now, regardless of the sin and struggle that we are in in the moment where we feel unworthy. He extends the invitation and says, just come. And he comes with open hands and open hearts, and may we do the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You extend an amazing welcome mat to us, and we're so grateful. We're so grateful that we could come to you in the midst of our struggles, our challenges, our sin, and that you accept us, but that you change us, and that, God, we are transformed in your presence. Lord, as we learn to be a community together, as we experience what it means to love one another, to welcome one another, Father, may we not just be a gathering of strangers here this morning, but may this be a community where we can know some people, where we can grow closer in relationship, where we can experience life together as the early church did, and really see the power when host and guest become one and connect as one, just as you have done for us. Father, if there are any here today that have never received your invitation, you're welcome. Maybe have made excuses to be about all kinds of things in life except to take that step and to receive that invitation to come and be a part of your great banquet, God, to experience forgiveness and new life. Lord, may today be a day to experience that. To say, I know Jesus, he knows me, he's coming to my house. He stopped the caravan because no one's more important than me. And Jesus sees you in that way, and so would you open your heart to him today? Would you allow him to be a guest in your home and to transform you? Father, help us as a church to break out of whatever excuses we may have, whatever challenges we may have, but to see others and to lean in and to move closer. Thank you, God, for these amazing stories, for your word, and for this challenge to welcome one another. We do this in Jesus' name.